What the city of Ottawa did and a number of other cities uh, did was to institute this three-phased pre-consultation. There is no justification in the law, but what it's done is it has pushed the timelines for consideration of rezoning and site plan out so long that I literally have in my office files representing thousands of units that are delayed because of the city. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We have a very special guest, Michael Holloway, partner and national municipal group leader at Gowling. Now, I know Michael is very busy with his work. So, Michael, thank you very much for taking the time. How are you doing today? My pleasure. Uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Once again, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're very busy. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael. So you've sort of told the work part. I practice in the area of uh, municipal and planning law. I'm at Gowlings. I'm just about to uh, observe 18 years at Gowlings. Before that, I was at another national firm. More importantly, I'm a husband of 37 years, and I have uh, two wonderful children and a wonderful daughter-in-law. So that's really who I am, as opposed to the lawyer I pretend to be during daylight hours. So you just pretend to be a lawyer. That's it. Well, they call it practice. I mean, I'm in practice. I don't know when I'm going to get it right, but uh, that's where I'm at right now. Well, Michael, you're surely doing a very good job. So what are some of the most common challenges you face in municipal and planning law? You're going to laugh at the answer, but it's uh, getting the cities to understand the law. Cities regularly exceed their legal authority. and A lot of what I do is encourage cities to follow what they're permitted to do under the law. So let me explain. Our federal government and our provincial governments are recognized in our constitutions. And and I pluralize that because we've had several versions of that uh, over time and additions and changes. But cities are not constitutionally recognized. They are creatures of the province, it is said. And their authority is laid out in a series of statutes passed in our case by the government of Ontario. And those statutes constrain what cities can do. And so they can't do everything that often they think they can do or want to do. I've had it said to me by a senior lawyer at the city more than once, cities have to plan. And so what they will often do in the context of doing their planning and in responding to development applications is to take positions that are unsupported by law. And so the biggest challenge is to uh, try to hold the line on what cities are doing. And one of the things that we do here uh, in our municipal uh, group is to uh, take what I call a first principles approach, meaning that whenever we're examining a problem with a city, we go back to the law and ask ourselves the question, are they permitted to do this? And often 
The answer is no. And so the biggest challenge is often in explaining that to the city. And I would say a good portion of the time, they don't care and they're going to push forward. And so uh, we end up in front of the Ontario Land Tribunal or we uh, end up in front of a court arguing over that. So the city, you mentioned, often exceeds their legal authority and it seems they don't care. What's their motivation for not caring? Well, um, it is what I said. The attitude is cities have to plan. And they know that a lot of people and companies interacting with the city will just roll over. My clients don't usually roll over because they have me advising them. Just because a city says so doesn't make it true. There's one fight that I'm having right now where the city of Ottawa has tried four different explanations, four different legal explanations to justify their approach on something. And they've been all over the map, starting with the very legally reasoned answer, because we said so. And when you show them that they're wrong on one answer, then they then they give you a different answer. Um, this thing may end up in court. It just may. At the end of the day, my clients don't pay me to have them end up in front of the Ontario Land Tribunal or in front of a court. What they're paying for is results. And I always try to keep that in mind. The fastest way to get anything done is to get agreement out of the city. I was in front of planning and housing committee just yesterday, watching to make sure that a settlement, uh, which we had negotiated with the city, was approved by planning and housing, then goes to council next week, and hopefully it will be approved there. And what that will do is avoid a costly and week-long hearing that otherwise would have resulted. That's very good. So you mentioned that, obviously, your clients, they don't roll over because they have you. So what's been the longest development process you have been involved with in the city? You know, I was only involved for the last, let's say, three or four years of what had been a more than 10-year battle. It was in the former city of Canada and had to do with the development of what we now know as Canada Centrum. But that was a long battle with a lot of participants because it wasn't just a Canada Centrum, it was in the areas around it. And uh, that one went on, I think, for about 10 years. Ultimately, it was settled. It didn't really go to a hearing. It went to what was then referred to as a pre-hearing conference. We now call it a case management conference. Uh, it may have gone to more than that. I'm just trying to recall because it was a long time ago. It ended in the earlier mid-90s. And after that, we saw the part of the centrum what was developed. It was the backside where the restaurants and movie theater are now. That was the big issue. So what was the resistance? Where did the biggest resistance yeah, come well, from? The biggest issue was that Canada councils and mayors at the time, were anxious for it to be a fully enclosed mall like Bayshore or like Saint Laurent. But by the early 90s, nobody was building those anymore. What was prevalent were 
power centers and outdoor malls and so on and so forth. The ultimate compromise that was reached in order to settle it was if you go to that the backside of that mall, you will see that the walkways between the sides of the mall are narrower than you might have expected in an outdoor mall. Why? Because the compromise was that it could be built as an outdoor mall, but capable of being enclosed in the future if that's what the market determined. Um, it never did. We're still not in a time of the construction of new indoor malls. We're actually in a phase of what I refer to as demalling, but that was the biggest issue. Various mayors of the former city of Canada, ending with Merle Nichols, were absolutely insistent that what they were going to get there was a regional enclosed mall. And that is not what happened. That's very good to know. I actually live like five minutes from Centrum. And I know that uh, pretty much everybody that lives in Stisville, I live in Stisville and Canada, often frequent the Bayshore Mall. So. Right. Yeah, that's good. That is very good. And one of the previous guests on the podcast had indicated that uh, in Dallas, they have what's called the MUD, so the Municipal Utility Districts, and that this was a recommended approach in getting municipal services to unserved areas. Uh, what's your take on this? So I had to look it up. Um, I was not familiar with the concept. But what a municipal utility district is, is a method of constructing services in areas that have no municipal government, what are referred to in Ontario as an unorganized municipality. The way it works in Ontario is normally municipal services follow what is referred to as the urban boundary. So here in Ottawa, for example, um, you know, beyond our urban boundary, what you're going to find are private services well and septic if it's just on one house if it's larger than that it may have a shared private services and that's because the urban boundary is a determination of the municipality as to where it is willing to build water pipes and sewage pipes and roads and the like it is unlikely that you're ever going to see municipal services in an area outside a settlement area or the urban boundary and that is because there has been a determination made that there is insufficient population to merit wholesale building of homes or businesses. And therefore, what we're not going to do is spend the money to push pipes out to areas where you have a very sparse population. Okay, that's very good. So you mentioned something similar that we have in Ontario is unorganized municipalities. Yes. And, okay. and those are largely supervised by the uh, Ministry of Natural Resources. Lots of people, by the way, lots of people have very nice cottages in uh, areas of unorganized municipalities because, you know, um, use of a lot for a single family dwelling is something that is generally acceptable. Okay, that's good. You mentioned. Um development of municipal services happens uh, in line with uh, the urban boundary. So recently that the urban boundary was reduced. Did that impact any of your clients? Well, it hasn't been reduced yet. Okay. Okay. 
So what happened was the minister um, uh, announced that he was going to roll back the changes made by um, uh, by the former minister to expand urban boundaries. Um, but he was giving municipalities 45 days within which to make a decision as to what they were going to ask the minister to do. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that happened was, and I'll take it outside Ottawa for a moment, um, Hamilton Council voted on an official plan that did not expand the urban boundary at all. And the minister of the day said, mm, no, I don't think so. We're going to expand the urban boundary. In Ottawa, there was a vote to expand the urban boundary. The minister just increased the amount of land that was being included within the urban boundary. What various cities are going to do at this point, who knows? And there are exceptions to that because if people had begun construction on lands that had been added, then it's not rolled back for those lands. Okay, that's very good information. And how do you navigate the collaborative process between developers, the municipal government and community members in planning projects? Well, okay. So remember, lawyers don't usually come into the picture at the point of collaboration. Okay. Um, there are a number of developers that are very, very skilled at negotiating that process. Um, and others, perhaps not so much. But um, the ones that are really, really the best at it, we don't see their work because they don't need a lawyer. Okay, they, they get to yes with the municipal council and the municipal council will, they won't follow what um, community associations want necessarily, but they will be influenced by the desires of, of uh, community associations. Um, by the time it gets to a lawyer, it's starting to look bad because a developer, it is the rare developer that will bring a lawyer in at the outset to manage the strategy. And usually it's in the context of, we know this is gonna turn bad quickly and therefore we wanna be prepared from day one. I've got a couple of those going right now, okay? But by the time we get involved, it's at a point where if an appeal hasn't already been filed, it's likely to be filed sooner rather than later. At that point, our role is once again to try to encourage the city to stay in its lanes and to look at what the community association is doing uh, and asking for and try to determine if it's reasonable. Now, that's not our decision. That's generally a decision of a developer as to what they're prepared to spend and what they're not prepared to spend. And there are community associations that are more reasonable than others. Some of them are NIMBYs, uh, not in my backyard. Some of them just want tweaks. And some of them are in between those. So our role 
in a situation like that is usually to be the enforcer. Um, lawyers can often play the role of being the bad guy. Um, as I always say to my clients, just blame me. I have big shoulders. It varies from one file to another as to when we get involved and how we get involved. Do you get a lot of blame? Um, like I said, I have big shoulders. We had a, a matter down in uh, Napanee on a very controversial project in, in the area. You know, there was coverage by a small publication, one of which accused me of being arrogant. They're not the first ones to accuse me of being arrogant, and they won't be the last. I believe it was my mother that called me arrogant for the first time. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that that's funny. So does the city see you as uh, the enemy? Um, that's a really tough question to answer. What I would say is this. I have always said I don't need them to like me. I only need them to respect me. The senior lawyer with whom I deal most often, you know, he has respect for my abilities, just as I have respect for his. The system is set up in Ontario to allow appeals from municipal decisions that you don't like. And it's not as adverse as perhaps would be the case in a courtroom. It's just part of the rules of the game. And sometimes that senior lawyer at the city and I are on opposite sides. And sometimes we're on the same side. So I don't think it's adversarial so much. I think it's both of us fulfilling our role in the process. Are there some politicians who don't like me? Yeah, but who cares? There are politicians that come uh, into office with a very specific ideological bent. And if you're anti-development, you're not going to like me. Simple as that. Yep. That's good. I love your philosophy. You say that you don't need them to like you. You just need them to respect you. That's very good. Yeah. So um, a number of years ago, um, I used to write a regular column in the Ottawa Citizen. I have a brother who's a lobbyist. And sometimes when I was really harsh on counsel in, in my columns, he would call me and he would say, how can you write that? Aren't you afraid they're going to get mad? And that was always my answer. I used to say to him, you need these people to like you. I don't need them to like me. I only need them to respect me. And so I've been saying that ever since. That's very good. That's very good. And what are some ethical dilemmas that frequently arise in municipal and planning law, and how do you deal with them? So I don't think that the, the ethical dilemmas in this area of practice are any different than any other area of practice. What I would say to you is that if I have a suspicion that somebody who wants to retain my services wants to do something untoward, I will tell them I won't act for you. I don't lie. I play by the rules. I play hard. but I play by the rules. I've had over the years questionable clients. And one of two things will happen. Either I will say, look, this is the law and I will not go outside of it. Or 
Yeah, I don't like what you're saying. I'm sorry we can't act for you. I steer clear of ethical dilemmas because at the end of the day, one of the things that I do need cities to respect is my integrity, that what I'm saying is true. Years and years ago, I had a client who got caught building without a building permit. And so I said, okay, I'll I'll speak to the buildings branch about this. And I called the chief building official and start with my sob story for them. And he said, Michael, did you know that this is the fourth time they've done it? I said, no, I did not. And thank you for telling me. I think we need to end the conversation. And I went back to the client and I told them what had been said. And they didn't dispute it. And I said, yeah, I'm not acting for you anymore. I am not going to endanger my own ability to act for other clients by having any less than full integrity in dealing with the city. That's very good. That's very good. Integrity is important, especially uh, in your practice. So that's very, very good. And what are some recent and significant cases Ontario Land Tribunal has adjudicated and what are the implications of those decisions? I'm only going to talk about one. And that was a decision on a hearing that we had in April. We got the decision in July. And it was about the proposed construction of a 26-story apartment building out in the East End. And one of the things to understand is that the city of Ottawa, last year, after the minister's decision on November the 4th, got a new official plan. That new official plan talked about height limits of 40 stories in some places. This was one of those places. The city had a witness who was very proud of the fact that he had authored some of the tall building guidelines, among others. And um, he kept trying to enforce it. Now, in cross-examination, he was a very stubborn witness. But in cross-examination, I eventually got him to admit that the tall building guidelines, design guidelines that he was so proud of writing, had been written long before the new official plan. And I got him to admit that those guidelines did not work in an environment where you could build up to 40 stories. And I did eventually get him to admit that those guidelines needed to be rewritten. Okay, now what was significant about that? What was significant was that it changed the landscape for the development of tall buildings in Ottawa. It has affected our negotiations and the negotiations of others with the city because when they have this guy come out to defend his tall building guidelines, we can all point to the portion of the decision where he admitted they needed to be rewritten in light of the new official plan. So in an Ottawa context, that is really significant. It has genuinely affected what the city is now willing to bargain on that they would not have been willing to bargain on a year ago. That's uh, that's very impressive. Well, I can be a tenacious cross-examiner. I'll share a story with you. Um, my son now works in this uh, department here at, at Gowling's, but he articled at a different firm. 
And there was a hearing where he came to watch where this other firm was also involved. And we weren't opposite each other. We happened to share similar points of view. And I was cross-examining a witness and he was trying to be really stubborn and evasive. And he leaned over to the senior lawyer that he was sitting by and said, this guy's trying to wriggle out of the question. He said, it's not going to work. And he said, I've seen this movie before. I've lived this movie before and it's not going to work. So that's sort of the way I cross-examine witnesses that are trying to evade questions. Sounds like your, your son was in training way before he decided to be a lawyer. Uh, well, it's fair. His mother's a lawyer, too. Wow. That's very good. That's yeah, very his good. mother's a lawyer as well. Um, we did manage to save one. Our daughter did not go into law. Uh, she has a different kind of brain than the rest of us do. She actually helps people as opposed to uh, uh, what lawyers do. So uh, we like to say we saved one. Wow, that's so funny how you put it, you saved one. That's very good. So one last question yeah. for you, Michael. How do you address environmental concerns in development projects? Short answer is I don't. I'm not an environmental lawyer. The city has certain processes and procedures, as does the province, that require dealing with environmental concerns. And if it becomes an issue, that is when I say, hmm, I got to call one of my environmental law colleagues. This is not for me. So that's how they get addressed. But the short answer is typically, depending on what use is proposed on the site and what use was on the site, bottom line is it's got to get cleaned up, especially if you're converting from a commercial use to a residential use, which is among the most sensitive uses environmentally. And so um, I don't need to address it. Okay. So you just call one of your environmental lawyer friends. Honestly, Mateo, it's like tax. Okay. If I hear a tax question, I like to stick my fingers in my ears and start singing. Okay. <laughs> and then I bring in a tax lawyer. What one song of the do advantages you of being in one of the biggest law firms in the country is that I don't need to hear the end of the question. Do you have someone who does? I can just say yes, because there's somebody who does everything here. That's very good. So when you hear something about taxes, you close your ears and you start singing. What song are you singing? Oh, anything that will cover up the, the words. Um, <laughs> uh, I do not like tax questions. Okay. Okay. No, that's, uh, that's very good. Well, Michael, this has been a very insightful conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I love how you present your clients and you're definitely assisting to resolve the housing crisis. We, we hope so. We got to get the city moving a little bit. The city of Ottawa and other cities have allowed bureaucracy to get in the way of getting shovels in the ground. So we keep pushing the city and uh, hopefully it will bear fruit. Is that bureaucracy justified? No. Wow. No. I mean, I'll just give you one example. The province, in my view, in a bad mood, made it so that the timelines that already existed for the consideration of rezoning and site plan, if timelines weren't met, refunds and application fees needed to be given. And city didn't want to refund those fees. But 
The flip side is the developers didn't want them refunded either. Okay. They're small change compared to the cost of development. And so what the city of Ottawa did and a number of other cities uh, did um, was to institute this three-phased pre-consultation. There is no justification in the law. We are absolutely satisfied that three-phase consultation is outside the city's authority, and we look forward to an opportunity to challenge that. But what it's done is it has pushed the timelines for consideration of rezoning and site plan out so long that I literally have in my office files representing thousands of units that are delayed because of the city. That's pretty significant. It is very significant and it is unfortunate. Huh, that's insightful. What it was before the city did this was you had to come in for a pre-consultation. They gave you a list of studies that you had to prepare, okay? And you went off and you prepared them. And when they were ready, you uh, submitted those studies with your application. Now it's, they do the same thing in phase one and phase two, they've already started reviewing your studies. And that continues into phase three. You know, the city said it was gonna go out and hire 37 new staff to be able to process these things. They haven't done that. So the staff that are already overworked are even more overworked and developments are slowed down significantly because of this. Wow. Well, uh, thank you very much. This has been a great conversation. Thank you very much for taking the time, Michael. Thank you. We'll stay in touch. Bye. Thanks.